Welcome back to the Commerce Collective, a podcast brought to you by Flywheel. You're listening to This Month Above the Fold, a monthly series on the Commerce Collective feed where Patrick Miller, co-founder of Flywheel, covers the most important e-commerce stories each month, and this is your January 2024 recap. I'm Emma Irwin, Senior Editor and Specialist at Flywheel. Let's get into it. Patrick, how are you? How have you been? Great to see and hear you, and uh, everything is everything's well on my side. How about you? It's good. It's been busy. It's been I've been tied more into the marketing team and doing more projects outside of podcasting, which has been fun and exciting and challenging. So good. Yes, it's a new year. It's crazy. I can't believe it's 2024. But because we're here, you recently kind of got like a new role, sort of somewhere between just a new role. And like, I also think you're trying to enter early retirement. So tell me about this. <laughs> well, I have a two and a three year old. So, <laughs> you know, I always say that that is uh, far, far away from that. And as I, my, my wife is a, uh, is a pathologist. And so when we think about career bouncing, I sell soap on the internet. Uh, she diagnoses <laughs> cancer. And so, oh, yeah. you know, as we try to juggle running the household and, and keeping the kids from becoming feral, I'm taking a bit of time to help keep them from too feral. <laughs> okay, let's get into it. Story number one. This is a big one. This is a fun one. So Omnicom, the world's second largest media holding company and the largest one in North America, acquired this other company, we may or may not know them, called Flywheel at the very beginning of January officially. It's a huge deal in the world of media, retail media, digital commerce, etc. But can you kind of break down in your from your POV why this is such a big deal? Well, we're charming. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, look, it, getting to know the folks at, at Omnicom has been a, a real joy and getting to, to learn from them. And, and, and really, it always comes back to, as far as a thesis goes, is, you know, how do we connect, you know, sales and marketing? You know, how do we connect upper funnel and lower funnel, probabilism and determinism? And thinking through sort of all the things that, like, we're really good at, which is the very transactional e-commerce business, to what they're really good at, which is, you know, amazing creative upper funnel strategy. And, and brand building. And so if we can figure out, you know, sort of how to connect the two of them, you know, that's a huge unlock for the clients and for the industry. And so I'm I'm thrilled about it. It's been fun getting to know them and figuring out how our various tech stacks, you know, work together in order to you know, solve these these challenges that have, have been a tough one for quite frankly, for decades. And so I think it's fascinating and really excited about it. Can you dig deeper into this probabilism versus determinism. I think sure. I think those are words, but I keep hearing this. Can you just, for anyone that maybe hears those and is like, probabilism, well, yeah, please yeah. help them. <laughs> I can't spell them, but so think of it this way. So like if I serve Emma an ad on Amazon, uh, there's a customer ID and then I then can then later see that, you know, Emma either saw that ad or clicked on that ad and then purchase an item. And, and so that is, you know, that's determinism where there is, you know, sort of close to perfect, you know, fidelity. Now, however, now let's say, you know, Emma is driving to work and then sees a billboard and then Emma then buys a pair of Under Armour shoes or whatever. Well, the only way to tell, there's no way to map customer ID or, you know, Emma's email to that purchase. And so that's where sort of traditionally people would be using regression via, you know, market mix models to say, hey, if I take into account, you know, all these externalities, you know, i.e. media spend across different vehicles, um, price changes, stock position, uh, distribution, uh, seasonality, promotion, uh, et cetera. 
I can then say, I, I can then allocate my sales success to these various, you know, modals of uh, communication and advertising, and then thus probabilistically say, you know, hey, this is how much attribution should go to that billboard relative to all the people that then bought. Now, neat, and, and so the, the limit of determinism is you're never going to have perfect fidelity across every single person. Um, you have changing, you know, regulation around privacy. You have changing and evolving policy by some of the big tech companies, um, you know, around things like cookies. So you're never going to get all the way there. At the same time, on probabilism, you know, you don't get to see, you know, some of the very bottom transaction level data because you can't tie it, you know, one to one. And so the trick and, and what we want to figure out is, well, well, what's the bridge between the two? You know, sort of how do you create that ampersand, you know, and, and neither is going to be perfect and acknowledge that, but take the best of, you know, sort of both worlds to figure out, you know, sort of new ways of, of measurement and determining, you know, which half of your advertising is working best. And, and I think that's a, a fascinating challenge and, and where I'm spending the vast majority of my time now. Gotcha. On that. What is your actual new title now? I'm absolutely derailing this, but I'm kind of curious. It has always been co-founder and will continue to be. So So you're just sticking to that one. Okay. I'm just sticking to that one. Yeah. Gotcha. Last question before we move on to story number two. In terms of like Omnicom acquiring Flywheel, what do you see as like the future of these large holding companies when it comes to trying to either build out or acquire companies that help them with retail media functions? Like, do you think we're going to be paving the way for the future? Probably will, you know, kick off some additional m and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by. But I actually, I look at like, I don't even like the word retail media. I just, I like the idea of closed loop. And so, because I want to think it beyond just retailers. And and historically, especially in sort of consumer goods, um, have never had a closed loop before. And so something like a like a telco company or uh, financial services, they, they will often have closed loop, but an FMCG, you know, would not. And so figuring out, you know, sort of how do we solve for those? And and then especially as, you know, grocery becomes more and more important as people shift online and CPG in general, you know, the, these become much, much bigger questions to figure out. And I think, you know, sort of the various companies that are serving these client sets are going to want to build out capabilities to help these clients be successful, you know, in this new world. And and whenever folks would ask me about Flywheel, I'd always say like, I was like, everybody thinks that we're a media company. I mean, we're not a media company. We're a retail company that happens to buy a lot of media because it's so effective in driving sales. And at the end of the day, nobody reports to Wall Street on reach and frequency. Everybody reports to uh, Wall Street on sales. And what we need to do is figure out what is driving those sales, not just over a two-week period, but longitudinally over a much longer period, and then connecting sort of you know what's happening at the Super Bowl down to what's happening on sponsored products. Boom. Mic drop. Story number two. Good transition, Emma. Story number two is that Prime Video has officially launched ads. We've talked about this in the past, but it's been a few months and now it is real. So let's start with the impact that you think this will have on linear TV. I keep reading all of these things where it's like the final blow for traditional TV dollars. Are we all being dramatic or, you know, what do you kind of see here? There's a continued erosion of people watching linear television as more and more folks cord cut and switch to uh, streaming services. This then ties actually very nicely back to the determinism versus probabilism conversation because, you know, sort of linear would be probabilism, uh, streaming would be a combination of the two. So you do have sort of identity resolution within streaming, but you and I could be watching television together and it's I'm logged in, you are not. And so you then use probabilism to see, you know, sort of impact to, to Emma and, and her, her purchasing behavior. 
But if I take a step back and if I look at, you know, sort of second order effects of, you know, inflationary times, one of the biggies is that, you know, all the streamers a couple of years ago, you know, all they cared about was growth. You know, how many users they add, how many users do they have? And and now in, in a sort of post-inflationary environment, or hopefully post, now they start caring a whole lot more about EBITDA. And so as they care about profits and, and they no longer just want to, you know, yes, they would like to add users, they want to show growth, but they also have to figure out how to make these things more profitable. And so Netflix had the sort of the great sort of move that they were hanging on to for a very long time, which is they knew lots of people were password sharing. And then they said, hey, you know what, when we're, at some point they knew they could just crack down on it. And then they did. And then they created an additional ad tier that allowed it easier for folks that are a bit more price sensitive to then switch over to the ad tier. And so that has then sort of continues to grow their earnings, I want to say as a week ago. I'd say they're up to almost 20 million or so. Um, so it's an, it's nice growth. It was slow at first, but it's it's growing really well now. But on Amazon, they sort of, whereas Netflix said, hey, you can then opt into the uh, streaming tier. On Amazon, they said you can opt out of the streaming ad tier. And so by doing that, you know, you then have all of a sudden, let's just round numbers, let's say 100 million folks that are then going to be ad exposed. And so if I'm Amazon, the trick is, you know, how do I, you know, have ads, but not being annoying? And, you know, because I want to, I actually want to, you know, I, I likely have a greater ability to monetize the addressable audience there more so than I actually want to trade them up into the price supported tier of, I want to say it's about $3 per month. And so, you know, so as they then roll this out, it's a great chance for, for brands to start to invent and figure out like, okay, well, how do I then tie this back to my Amazon sales? How do I try this back to my offline sales? Can I experiment with things like QR codes? You know, I was playing around with um, watching television the other night. I was amazed. I was like, you know, across the room and I open up my camera app and I can easily scan in the QR code. And so, you know, it's sort of, that was a new habit that I'm slowly forming, you know, and then as I look forward. The thing I want to see Amazon do is more tightly connect promo and deals with the advertising ecosystem. And because that then creates a, you know, a really interesting, you know, it's just a great ad experience where you have both, yes, the awareness of the brand, but then also the urgency of a deal. And can I then connect it? That becomes super interesting. And then we also have then all the challenges around Robinson Patman, you know, and sort of fair and equitable and how brands navigate that relative sort of to this retailer who's also a media company. Gotcha. And you mentioned or getting a seeing a QR code, pulling out your phone and whipping it out and then being, I'm assuming, directed back to Amazon if that's where the QR code was going. But I'm kind of curious, and this is a line from Bloomberg, so it's not original thought, unfortunately. But what do you see as like the TV as the actual shopping cart? Like, I think it'd be really interesting if from your TV, you're then able to actually shop on Amazon rather than having to whip out the phone. Like, do you see I that as I something? I don't want to. I don't, but like maybe. <laughs> I don't. I don't like if I want to watch great creative and see something. I want to be immersed in the show. I don't mind being, you know, sort of interrupted by some a few ads, especially if it is also great creative. I don't want to stop and pause and then be like, okay, now I'm going to use my remote to go, you know, add stuff to cart. So many folks are already two screens at once anyway, and so I might be, you know, reading the journal or Financial Times or whatever while also watching television. And so being able to then do a shop, like I shop for diapers all the time while I'm watching television, and so. You know, so to me, seeing the ad and then being able to do that on the phone, and 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 I always almost think of it as, and in general, I would say, like on Amazon, it's everybody's like, I think oftentimes just obsessed with like basket building, and like typically it's more spear fishing, but there's also asynchronous basket building, and so to me, with the expression of that is like Prime Day deliveries, and so I'm being conditioned, like I may shop one time and I buy diapers, and then I buy you know fruit pouches, and then I buy crackers, and that might be like three different trips, but they all show up on Wednesday because like I, otherwise, like we. Can just you know you have too much cardboard and so it ends
ends up being basket building, but it's not just one trip. It's multiple trips. So I think of it as sort of asynchronous basket building. Interesting. All right. TV providers and whoever you are, you heard it here first. Do not turn the TV into a shopping <laughs> cart. I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but you know, <laughs> but we'll see. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Let's get into story number three. We're talking about global marketplaces today, specifically Timu and kind of covering different elements that we see contributing to Timu's growth. So I'm going to kind of open up the floor because we've seen a ton of different and actually like pretty decent journalistic coverage of Timu, in my opinion. But what are some of the observations that you've been picking up on recently when it comes to Timu's growth? They're spending a shocking amount of money on advertising. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't not see their ads. And it was driven home to me like when we're visiting my wife's family in, in Texas over the holidays. My father-in-law just gives gives nothing. Um, he's a retired army, gives nothing but gifts from Timu to everybody. <laughs> and so like I got everything from like a pocket knife to a, like a t-shirt to and anyway, our whole family's like running around in, in, in Timu t-shirts now. Or my toddler won't take off like this awful T-Rex Timu t-shirt, but like wears it for weeks on end. So anyway, and I'm like, how the hell did Timu find a retired That's army impressive. colonel yeah. in North Texas? <laughs> Nonetheless, like I can't even find where they live, but it's, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, Texas. You know, it's working. Like I, you know, I was reading a report that said that their spend is up about a thousand percent according to media retail or, or media radar. You know, they did a Super Bowl ad last year. They're going to do a Super Bowl ad this year. Q4, they spent about half a billion dollars. Like they are just spending so much money and you know it's across you know it's across social it's across search it's across you know display so then it's a question what i think is actually the really interesting question is like okay where are they taking from like they're share stealing right and so it's like so who are they taking from what are others reacting and so like you know they're certainly taking from amazon and they're certainly taking you know from shein i think the big loser though is target and i, and I think they're taking you know sort of a lot of sort of the because you go to timo and it's it's more like going to five below in the sense that like you're walking around and you're, you don't necessarily have something that you have in mind, like you're browsing and discovering. And then, you know, you find a, you know, a $2 t-shirt and you're like, Hey, why not roll the dice, see what happens. So that there's sort of like there's discretionary items that Target's so good at. I think they're, you know, certainly taking from them. Within Amazon, you saw, you know, just a, a month or so ago, Amazon, you know, lowered, um, you know, their fees for sellers in, in, in apparel. And that was absolutely, you know, a way to sort of fight back against both Timu as well as Shein. I do think uh, Timu is really beating up on Shein, but but both of them are still sort of, you know, ultimately growing and, and, and taking from, you know, sort of, you know, Zara and whatnot. But then on the Amazon side, okay, so I think Amazon's going to have a, you know, a significant beat, you know, when they report, you know, I think it's going to be, yes, top line is going to be above where the street is, but I think they're really going to do well, you know, from a profit perspective. Two quarters ago, CFO talked about, you know, sort of as they move to the regionalization of the network, you know, sort of eight different networks, they are both decreasing cost to serve for last mile um, and also decreasing the time. And so customers are now saying, oh, I can now get cough syrup in three hours. I never would have considered that category before. And so now I'm going to go look at that. And when we look at our data, what we're seeing is that, yeah, top line, you know, sort of north of 10%, but units are increasing, you know, significantly faster than that, which tells me they're then mix shifting to lower ASP items. So then, okay, now let's combine these two. So Timu taking from Amazon, taking from Target. So Amazon is going to have a headwind when it comes to some of apparel. But if Amazon's also growing in sort of low ASP items, that means that they're then growing disproportionately quickly in CPG. 
And so if they're then doing that, and we know they've struggled with grocery outside of center store, that means they're taking from somebody when it comes to CPG. And so I would expect that that's really hitting Target, so double whammy there, because they're also getting beating up by Shein and Timu. And then, but also I would think the drug class of trade. And so a lot of items that I would think of sort of very impulsive, uh, not impulsive, or just like immediate need, where I would have gone over to the drugstore, now all of a sudden I can get my kid's cough syrup in a couple hours, and I don't have to go down the street to the CVS. Eh, pretty good experience. So we'll see as a, you know, sort of the all port in the next couple of weeks. I think it's going to be fascinating. You know, as we look at them, uh, you know, I expect to see sort of a, a moderation of growth around click and collect in general, but I think Amazon's going to have a great quarter. Gotcha. Last question I have for you related to this story is just how does Timu continue to grow and sustain when they spend so much on advertising and I think they lose? I think Wall Street Journal gave the stat of like 40% loss to logistics fees and all of that. Like, how do you grow and sustain when that can't be profitable? No, it doesn't, but it doesn't have to be right now. So it's, you know, sort of the parent company of Pinned Out Al has done exceptionally well in China, uh, you know, really pioneering the idea of sort of social shopping and discounts, you know, you friends to buy together, et cetera. And so they're experimenting right now to figure out sort of, you know, what does this look like, you know, for U.S. consumers? And, and to me, like I look at their core advantage is they're not trying to fight Amazon when it comes to the logistics. They're saying, hey, this is going to take a week to get to you. And most things I'm cool with taking a week. And so, you know, that's, you know, there's certain items where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to buy baby formula from Timo, but yeah, I am going to buy a sweater. And so that's, you know, sort of the, the apparel side is, is super interesting. And as they then sign up more sellers and they have lower fees, again, it becomes interesting. So like, what are the, like, what are the items that you really want the selection, you know, and, and you want the low prices. And so to me, it's, it, I actually think the vector that they're, they're going after are sort of left, less affluent customers and especially rural, less affluent customers. And because for them, it is like, so like getting back to my parents-in-law, like they live in North Texas, it is past Amarillo and Amarillo is in the middle of nowhere and they live way past Amarillo. They ain't getting same day shipping, you know, from Amazon. So so they've already been conditioned um, that, you know, they're not getting same day. And so let's say it's two days or maybe sometimes it slips to three. If Timu can get it to them for a smaller amount of money and it only takes a couple of days more, why not? And and so like I I got to see that firsthand and during Christmas. And I think we're going to see sort of more and more, you know, sort of rural, less affluent, you know, folks um, that are driven to these platforms. Interesting. Another aside tidbit. I've avoided Timu advertising. Like I have not gotten any ads, which, and we've talked about it a couple of times. So like, I think I'm in the clear, but a lot of my friends who are out in rural New York and still in college. So obviously the less affluent people are bombarded with Timu kind of targeting. I'm like, dang, they really mastered this. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And I so like, so to me, I'm like, okay, if they continue to grow like they are, and, and like to me, the, the real trick will be do customers come back? So like just willing to spend the money right now. And so like, I think they're going after a customer base where Amazon isn't as strong. They're not as reliant on sort of building out a, a supply chain. And then if they keep coming back and, and to me, especially the discovery shopper, like somebody who'd like would have gone to five below just to browse around or maybe dollar, the dollar class of trade. And then they, now they're going to Timu to, you know, to browse around. And if they can get that, they're going to kill it. You're not going to be buying diapers, you know, on, you know, on Timu anytime soon. But as they recruit more sellers and they open up sellers, you know, from different areas and they're less dependent on that supply chain. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating play. It'll be interesting to see it pan out. Last question for you. Your favorite story of these three. I'm fascinated by Timu. You know, I love seeing new entrants. My favorite part about this industry is how much it changes. And uh, and it's something I just I don't know anything about. and I get to keep learning. So I love seeing how much it's changing and just love learning about it. Amazing. We love learning. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. 
And that's it for this month's e-commerce news. Tune in next month for the latest and greatest, you know, what truly belongs above the fold in e-commerce news. I'm Emma Irwin, and I'll see you next time.